stay astonished, and be encouraged. That's the message we'll hear today from Bishop Julius Trimble of the Indiana area as he's my guest on episode 16 of the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. That, that's my greatest hope. My greatest hope is that we can model something that we haven't seen modeled in recent years uh, in, the, in the public discourse and conversation and in, in public politics as well. And that is to, is to handle our disagreements in a way in which the, the love and grace of God is not obscured. Hello, this is Bishop David Bard from the Michigan area. You are connecting with the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, doing all the good we can. Welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, where it is our mission to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. Uh, today, in the United, on episode 16 of the United Methodist People podcast, we are going to talk with Bishop Julius, Julius Tremble, who is a return guest to the United Methodist People podcast, as we are here in December of 2018. We're also going to touch on the Christmas Conference of 1784 for just, for just a moment. And we're going to be talking to Bishop Trimble about, of course, the way forward and many things in the life of the church, as well as aspects of his personal faith. We're glad you're with us here today in the United Methodist People podcast. Let me remind you that you can get find out more about us and get back uh, episode of the United Methodist People podcast by going to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. It's also there that we have a free gift for you, which is a program called The Methodist Way. It's a downloadable uh, multimedia presentation that you can use in your teaching uh, ministry. You can also connect up with us on iTunes and in several other places, including Stitcher. And if you give us a, a review, a rating and a review, that's helpful to us, and we appreciate you connecting with us in those kinds of ways. Our mission here, as we said, is to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary, but we're talking to you today in the middle of December 2018, and I just thought it might be good for us to, given kind of the challenges we have in our church these days, let's revisit for just a minute where we started. The Christmas Conference of 1784. And I just think it was good. I decided to revisit some of that. And I read a little bit of the history written by by Joe Iovino from United Methodist Communications. And there's just a couple points about that that I think it's good to be, be reminded of. That it started, there was a 40-day run-up to the Christmas Conference after a message was sent from Wesley, to uh, from John Wesley, to Francis Ayersbury and Thomas Koch about getting things started in the United in what became the Methodist movement. And 
Wesley appointed Asbury to be a superintendent of this new Methodist church. And word got around, and they just had 40 days to get organized, and they decided to meet together at Lovely Lane Chapel in Baltimore on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, and then for 10 days right around Christmas there of 1784. And that changed our history United in what we now know as the United Methodist Church. And it was started by a bunch of lay folks, mainly lay preachers who then were ordained to be some of the first pastors and lay, these lay preachers and superintendents in the, in the new, new church. And I'm struck by how they came from various walks of life and they came from far distances to come to this place. And they were, had the sacraments and they had love feast and they had these things going on in ministry, but they felt the need to organize, to be organized in order to be more effective in ministry. And so, a guy named Freeborn Garrison was among those who have spread the word. He was called the uh, Paul Rivera Methodism because he rode 1,200 miles by horseback to help spread the word in about six weeks. And uh, 81 people, 81 uh, people showed up at that first Christmas conference, and they were mostly young people. And they were full of energy, American preachers. And Francis Asbury was ordained a deacon, then an elder the next day, and his general superintendent the next day. And, you know, that's not going to happen again. And uh, so these things were happening. But here's one of the things I noticed. Asbury journaled about this. We spent a whole week in conference debating freely and determining all things by a majority of votes. We were in great haste and did much business in a little time. So Christmas Conference, 1784. The church got started with a sense of urgency and also a sense of collaboration driven by lay folks who became clergy who had great passion for the gospel. And I just want us to remember that as we move forward in faith, as we look at the way forward and other things we have going on in the life of the church. And I think that's kind of important to revisit that here as I'm speaking to you in the middle of December 2018. It is good to be here with you today with our special guest, uh, Bishop uh, Julius Trimble. He's a return guest to the United Methodist People podcast, and we just had a great conversation recently about things that are happening in the life of the church. Uh, Bishop Trimble and I uh, graduated together from Garrity Evangelical Seminary, so we've known each other for, for quite some time. But he has just some great, he has a great passion for, for the church, and he has a great passion for doing two things, being astonished and or staying astonished himself and to be encouraged. And we had a great conversation about astonishment and encouragement and the state of the church as we know it right now. So let's get into my conversation with Bishop Julius Trimble of the Indiana Area of the United Methodist Church right now. And we're pleased today to have a return guest on the United Methodist People podcast. Bishop Julius Trimble has been a bishop of the United Methodist Church for since 2008. And he served in the Iowa Conference for, for eight years and then since 2016 has been the resident bishop of the Indiana area. He's a native of Chicago and graduated from Illinois State University and Garrity Evangelical Theological Seminary for his Master's of Divinity and got his doctoral administrative degree at Ashland Theological Seminary. We have those things in common, and that's a good thing. And he's served churches in Cleveland and in the Chicago area and has been involved with many things in the life of the church, including preaching throughout Africa and the Holy Land, the United States, 
and been uh, the author of A Faithful Church in a Healthy World. But uh, most of all, I'm really impressed with what his personal mission statement is. It's been impressive to me. It is to encourage all people with the love of Jesus Christ to rise to their highest potential or, in short, to be an encourager. Bishop, welcome to the United Methodist People podcast. Thank you, Brad. It's good to be back again. Yes, excellent, excellent. You're back again as a return guest. and we've, We have several things in common, our alma maters for one thing, but also I love to be an encourager of people, and what we try to do through this podcast is to strengthen the connection, give people some tools and some conversation to do that. So I've noticed something about you being around you as my personal bishop, about uh, you have some themes in your life. One of them is being an encourager, and you also uh, talk about uh, being uh, someone who uh, is astonished. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's astonishing you these days, either about the church or about the world? What is astonishing you? Brad, I think when we, when we take time to actually pay attention, uh, it's not hard to be astonished. And, uh, and some of the language used by colleagues here and that I learned since coming to Indiana is to look for glory sightings. All right. So uh, uh, I, I, I would start with being a new grandpa is it was nothing better. Nothing better. We than share that. that in common too. We've both been grandparents <laughs> in the last year. Yeah. Nothing better than that. Yeah. But also I, a lot of the things that are happening in local churches and communities that never make it to the, to the cover of anybody's news, news report. And uh, I, I'm just astonished by how, People who have a passion for other people and people who have a passion for ministry can just literally make a difference. And it doesn't require having a big budget. It really requires having a big heart. Mm. And so I'm always astonished when, 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 I, when, I, when I encounter lay and clergy who, who have a big enough heart to do things for other people. That is awesome. And then you also, and part of the, that's what is astonished you, seeing how people are doing some great stuff. But you also uh, talk about being an encourager. But I'm also curious how you might have been encouraged by something you've experienced recently. What's encouraged you? I think what's encouraged me is uh, when I've had conversation with uh, young clergy in the Indiana Conference uh, uh, who who still have not only faith in God but faith in the future uh, and are not and are not uh, have not resigned to the to the angst or the or the narrative that that our best days are behind us, so that encourages me since I'm kind of in the latter latter chapters of ministry for me uh, to to know that there's still some people. I talked to a young man today who's not here, who's in actually in Ohio, who uh, came into ministry when I was serving in Ohio, who's doing great things now in the community there. So I, I'm encouraged by the fact that there there are people who have who don't see the best days of the church as being the days which are behind us. Not everyone's a cynic, I guess, right? Yeah, not everyone is a cynic. Yeah, and, and I have days when I'm cynical, too. Oh, so I, uh, I agree with that. that. I'm just sharing, reflecting with you that it's good to see when someone, especially a younger clergy or younger leader, hasn't re, you know, kind of gone down the uh, slippery slide of mm-hmm. cynicism that mm-hmm. can happen, especially given some of the challenges Absolutely. In, our, in our church these days. And I want to get into that in just a few minutes, some of our challenges. But I'm also interested, uh, Bishop, about you personally in terms of um, your life and your spiritual life and your uh, life in, in faith. And one of the things I'd like to ask folks sometimes is about your own spiritual disciplines, what you do personally to fulfill yourself spiritually, what 
whether it's journaling, prayer life, fasting, anything along that line. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I've been for a number of years now, uh, uh, and I've done this in conjunction in community, in covenant community. So now we do, I do it in conjunction with our extended cabinet here in Indiana. That's using the upper room disciplines, uh, um, and, and it's a daily, a daily journal, uh, that, which is kind of based upon the common lectionary. And so every day there, I'm reading it, but I know that I'm not the only person reading it, that I'm reading it in conjunction with others who are in ministry uh, with me. So that's one thing I do. My wife and I, we have a, a, a spiritual discipline, and whenever we're in the car together, before we go anywhere in the, in the, in the, in the driveway, we pray. We pray, and we pray for our family. We pray for the churches in Indiana. We pray for any special concerns that have come for that. So prayer and Bible study has been 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 uh, part of my spiritual discipline. One of my spiritual disciplines. Some people say this is not not more physical, but is is uh, four days a week to try to get to the gym. Mm. Uh, I did get to the gym this morning, and for me that's kind of a spiritual discipline because I got up this morning, did did some Bible reading. I'm now I just started a journey of, of reading through the New Testament, starting with Advent, and so I did Bible reading this morning. Then when I had my gym clothes already on and went on to the gym for, for a workout and, and came back and uh, get my day was my day had already started. So I've been I've been going for a while today. Yeah, that's great. So you have a bit of a uh, of a morning routine. I have a morning routine. And yeah, that pretty, helps you jumpstart yeah, your day yeah. and that that is awesome. I find that in my own experience at least leaders who I've encountered whether in the church, in the business world or authors that I've talked to, many of them have some sort of a morning routine. Mm-hmm that gets them started in such a way that they're productive and effective mm-hmm. and in and, and gear for, for the day. You mentioned about part of your discipline is to uh, pray in the car and uh, with your wife, and that is awesome. One of the things I like to do in my car sometimes is to listen to listen to worship music, mm-hmm. this type of thing. I just wondered if you have any worship songs or hymns or any music that really, whenever you hear it, you know, just makes your heart jump a little bit. Well, we've got a, a new song. We actually we heard it sang live. That was it last year? Maybe it was year before last. But uh, um, I think maybe Faith Hill is the one who sang it. I don't know who sang it first. A, a baby changes everything. So, so during this time of Advent and Christmas, those are the kind of songs that kind of uh, bring tears to my eyes. And, and that that's one. A baby changes everything. And uh, just listening yesterday uh, and the day before because it was played in, during a devotional time, uh, um, uh, Mary, Did You Know? Oh, yes. Yeah, and whenever I hear that song, you know, during especially during this time of the year, uh, uh, it, it kind of brings, uh, brings, brings a, a sense of joy uh, and, uh, and all, all about, um, you know, the coming of the, coming of the Christ child. And I like to listen to, to, to gospel music and, and R&B mm-hmm. in the car as well. And uh, one of the stations that I have, on, have been listening to now is, is called Soulful Christmas. Okay. And that's a, a, on Sirius Radio. So I ran across that one. Yeah, this. yeah. And so it's a lot of uh, some of the R&B groups who sing Christmas songs. Right, you know, right. So. And you said your baby changes everything with the new grandchild. Absolutely. But, that, but that's a part of, the, part <laughs> and of it, it as well. Well, how true. Yeah, how true. And we, we, uh, we talked about that a little bit today. It's, we were taping our Christmas greeting. Yeah, uh, that is awesome. That a baby does change everything. It does, it does. Yeah. And we're in the Christmas season now, and that's very, very apropos, isn't it? Yeah. 
because along the same line about what moves you spiritually and emotionally, uh, let's talk about uh, maybe a, a favorite scripture or a life verse mm. some folks have. Uh, do you have anything like that that really I, speaks I to do, you? I do, yeah. In fact, it's a, 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 this actually goes back, Brad, to, to, to when I was uh, going through the ordination process in the Northern Illinois Conference. And I'm not sure how this became a, a particular verse because it's not one people preach from often. But it's from the book of Nahum in the Old Testament. My goodness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. There, You will hear some other versions, uh, scriptures that are similar to that in the Psalms. But that came across, uh, and I don't know, I think it may even be in one of my early papers. I, can, I, I haven't run across those papers when I was going through the ordination process uh, as a candidate for ministry. But I, that scripture has stuck with me in, essentially because I really believe the Lord is good. Is and awesome. and when we're in trouble, Brad, uh, we need a stronghold. And, and and it's been my experience that, that God has been that stronghold. Reminds me of the phrase we use in my church, and I hear it used quite often, you know, that God is good all the time and all the time. All the time God, God is, is good. God is good. And just that you mentioned about that verse, mm-hmm. which I have to admit is a bit obscure to mm-hmm. me. Uh kind of speaks to that you know the goodness of god Mm -hmm. consistently yeah well i think it's important that we're all uh you know fed by scripture and you know also by music and and to be fed by uh, the word preached and i know you preach a lot and things like that but i'm also curious about maybe a sermon or a message that you may have heard recently from someone else that may have touched you could have been in person or maybe uh Mm -hmm. tape or whatever but any uh word well yeah yeah, it's interesting. And, yeah, and it happened recently, as in the last 48 hours. And it was a devotional message by Dave Neckers, Reverend Dave Neckers of the Indiana Conference, who also serves currently as the dean of the appointed cabinet. And his message really was around the favor of God, that the favor of God is still upon the church. And it was a hopeful message, especially in light of the United Methodist uh, dilemma, conundrum, mm-hmm. challenge, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, that we're uh, a crossroads, uh, uh, intersection as we are addressing human sexuality and, and uh, 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 an upcoming, in 2019, an upcoming special general conference. So, so to hear a word of hope that God's favor is still upon the church and God still has work for us to do, uh, essentially to to remain focused on our public mission of making disciples for the transformation of the world. That was a very hopeful and timely uh, devotional uh, sermon that I heard uh, uh, from Dave Neckers. Awesome. Well, the favor of God in these, uh, as you said, these challenging times, this mm-hmm. conundrum that mm-hmm. we're in right now. We're we're talking in December of 2018, and not too long from now, February of 2019, our mm-hmm. church will have a called General Conference to deal with what we're calling the, the way forward. Mm-hmm. And it does deal with matters, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, primarily of human sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I think the two key issues, as uh, most of us who are connected to the United Methodist Church know, have to do with the ordination of uh, homosexual clergy and also uh, same-sex unions are kind of what it boils down to, mm-hmm. really. And there's several different options that the church is looking at. And just like for you to reflect a little bit about that. I, I know one of the things that you've been doing here in Indiana is having uh, critical conversations all around the state, mm-hmm. which involved uh, 
a lot of clergy and a lot of lay people. Yeah. And I just would like for you to reflect with me just a minute about what are you learning from those conversations? Mm-hmm. What are coming out of those that are some of the energy that's coming out of those conversations? Well, there's some there's some surprising things that have come out of them. Uh, I've been pleased with the turnout. So we, we, we've already completed now eight district conversations and probably close to 3,000 people have have come, yeah, uh, with the highest turnout being uh, uh, over 560 people at, in Auburn. Uh, so I've been pleased with the turnout, uh, and the most recent one was actually during, during pouring rain. People still came out uh, when we met in Muncie. Uh, I was, I've been surprised, Brad, that uh, many people in the local churches uh, are not all that familiar with uh, United Methodism by way of its structure. Uh, so General Conference would be a foreign uh, um, term for some people. Uh, and also people are, are not necessarily overly familiar with the history of this long-standing division around human sexuality. So I was a bit surprised about that, that this, for some, this is was their first introduction to some of the material uh, about the commission on the way forward. And I think clergy, particularly now in the day of social media, uh, we may be a little bit more uh, in tune to that and, and, and have le- elevated to a level that many of our people in our local congregations have not elevated to that level. So I was surprised by that. I was surprised that we had, we've had very little uh, engagement and participation of younger persons. In fact, in two of the conversations, young people have actually uh, gone to the microphone and said, asked the question, are we really having a conversation without certain voices, meaning persons who would be under the age of 40? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have a good answer for that other than to say that there's proof. the proof is in the pudding that people who have been at these district conversations have been pretty much the demographic of the United Methodist Church, yes. which is, you know, 56 uh, and older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been one of my surprises. I've been very encouraged by the way in which we've carried on Christian conversation in a civil and respectful manner. Uh, and we recognizing that these, these gatherings are really for the purpose of prayer, uh, for conversation, uh, to be exposed to the proposed plans that are coming to the special general conference and then to share and end our time together in the sacrament of holy communion so for me this is really a a blessing in that as the bishop of the indiana conference i'm able to preside over uh, the eucharist holy communion uh, across 10 districts uh, after we've had conversation without debate and without voting well, it sounds like you've learned a lot, and I know that the, there's been a lot of energy in these uh, various critical conversations that are taking place as there is a lot of uh, conversation and energy throughout the whole United Methodist Church among almost, I'd probably say the majority of clergy are mm-hmm. somehow engaged, and, and certainly there are a number of lay people who are very engaged mm-hmm. uh, about the process. and. And I just think it might behoove us just to get a kind of an update of where we stand right now as we're just kind of coming up to the uh, the way forward at General Conference. We have three proposals that are before us, and our, our uh, 
juris, juris, I mean, our uh, judicatory bodies have been ruling on some matters of that. But just, I'd like to get your take, a bit of a synopsis of the three proposals that are before us, as you understand them, mm-hmm. as we get ready to go in to this conference in a couple of months. Well, we have uh, three formal proposals that will be presented by the Commission on the Way Forward in February of 2019 in St. Louis to the Special Call General Conference. And many have talked about the fourth possibility. Okay. And the fourth possibility being what we've experienced before in the past, and that is what happens if nothing is passed or if yes. things remain as they currently are. And it wouldn't be the first time that we've... Uh, n- we, there have been petitions or resolutions or about change, and change has not happened. In fact, some would argue that that's, that has brought us to this, to this pinnacle, to this point now. So actually there are four possibilities, of, not four proposals. Yes. The first one, uh, in, in short, is called the One Church Plan, and that's the plan which the majority of the active bishops supported not necessarily because we believe that all people uh, uh, believe the same thing relative to biblical interpretation or the way in which we should conduct the church, but we believe it's the, it, it provides the biggest tent for United Methodists to remain in the same denomination, recognizing that we do ministry in various contexts for ministry. And it would allow for pastors uh, in churches that chose to perform or uh, uh, preside over same-gender weddings to do that and not be faced with charge, charges against them or a church trial because they, they performed a same-gender wedding under the one church plan. Under the one church plan, it doesn't force, uh, force churches to change or, 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 or conferences that are outside the U.S. to change the way in which they do things. Uh, but it does provide provision for for annual conferences and for local congregations to to make a determination if they want to be more inclusive uh, by way of uh, LGBT persons as well as annual conferences to determine whether or not they would be willing to uh, uh, ordain uh, LGBTQ candidates for ministry if they made, met all the prerequisites for ordination. That's the one church plan. And, and as, before you get the other ones, it's my understanding also in that plan there is a little bit of a uh, of a uh, kind of a broader understanding of scripture that has to do with these areas, or at least some broader interpretation. There's okay. a broader, yeah, broader. There's, un, there, there's the, under, uh, the interpretation that this is not for to be a, a church dividing issue. Yes. The, the whole issue of human sexuality. And so People could have a variety. Some would argue that we kind of live in under that now, where we have people in our churches and we have pastors who have different different uh, views of how how to go about theological and biblical interpretation. So the one church plan uh, allows us essentially to remain one church and and not to force persons out of the church. The uh, connectional conference plan. Uh, is the plan that is probably the most complex of them and also has multiple requirements and it has a longer uh, runway before it would actually be implemented uh, because the time for implementation would not take place until after 2023 
because there are constitutional amendments that would have to be passed. But essentially, the, con the Connectional Conference Plan would allow for three branches of the church, a traditional branch of the church, a progressive branch of the church, and a centrist branch of the church or conference. And, and depending upon where your congregation was or where you were, if you felt that persons should uh, be able to be ordained, that they were LGBTQ persons, and you felt that you should be able to perform same-gender weddings or your, your congregation should be able to allow those to happen, then you would be in the uh, uh, what they would call the progressive uh, conference. If you felt that the traditional understanding of Scripture uh, and what we currently have in our Book of Discipline by way of prohibition should remain the same, uh, then you would you would be in the traditional conference, and and in the centrist central centrist conference would be or moderate or whatever it might be called eventually called based upon the actions of general conference would allow uh, for some diversity I guess within the same conference if that was and so it would be almost like the one church plan uh, in a in a separate conference now Baptists have something similar to this in that uh, Baptists can belong to different conventions. Mm -hmm. So you have progressive Baptists and uh, <clears throat> traditional Baptists and American Baptists and so forth. Uh, but many would argue that those are actually different denominations. Mm -hmm. Still sounds quite complex. It is quite, comp quite complex. The, 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 the good part about Connection of Church Plan is that there's no expectation that in 2019 or even 2020 that that could be implemented. Uh, there, there would have to be... Uh, you know some restructuring, uh, uh, and and then also would have implications as to how general boards and agencies might then function. Uh, so that's the connection of church plan. The, the the third plan is the traditionalist plan, or often referred to as the tradition traditionalist plan, or the tradition uh, plan, is essentially what we currently have in our book of discipline with with enhanced. Um, uh, uh, provisions for 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 um, consequences to people who break the covenant or who violate the covenant. So there would be certain uh, uh, prescribed uh, uh, penalties for persons who would who would violate uh, um, prohibitions that would be in the book of discipline. The judicial council has ruled some things out, but I believe through amendments and through the through the parliamentary uh, actions that will take place at the special general conference all of these plans will be put in a p place where they could be implemented uh, if they were approved by the majority of those voting at general conference in the traditional plan there is it, it adheres to what we say the discipline now but the consequences are quite can be quite severe if it, as yes. I understand it and that's something to be mm. seriously considered absolutely and yeah Given these three plans and your own personal walk in faith and your connections in the church here in Indiana and around the world, really, um, just what's your sense about the state of the church as we mm -hmm. enter into this general conference? Where, Just where do you think we stand as a church moving forward here? I think we're at a critical point as a church, and not solely because of these proposed changes, but I think, uh, as as I've heard some younger people say, we're at a point whether or not the, 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 the world will see the United Methodist Church of this mainline, huge mainline denomination, particularly in the U.S., as 
whether or not we're going to be relevant as we as we end the 21st century and even prepare for the 22nd century. Will we, will this be the last chapter in a, in a witness? I I tend to believe that God is God has something in store that we have not yet seen, and it's not represented in these three proposed plans. So so that's why I believe our our greatest emphasis should be on praying our way forward and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to to shock us and surprise us with what God's will is for the church. Perhaps be uh, astonished. Be astonished. Yeah. Yes, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> that would be awesome yeah. if something uh, came out that way. And, uh, and I think uh, let's talk for a minute about, in the, about kind of process and the tone of things as we uh, approach this. You know, we say as a church that uh, it is our, uh, and you mentioned this with some younger clergy, and I think it touches on what I want to talk, talk to you about, which is our mission as a church is stated to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. What's your take, and you touched on it a little bit already, I believe, what's your take on how all this debate, all this consternation, all this anxiety, this angst, this these conversations is impacting our main mission here. How is it influencing or impacting our main thing? I think it's it's a it's a distraction and if I had a better way of saying that I would because I don't want to say it's a distraction in the sense that we shouldn't care because it's not just it's not just an issue. We're talking about people and people's lives and people who are in our churches now and in our in our families, meaning uh, children, uh, men, women, boys and girls who are LGBTQ and persons who've been United Methodists. But I do think that the fact that we have had this kind of uh, intractable uh, conflict over human sexuality and things have obviously changed in the world and in society since 1972, uh, that this has been a distraction. In fact, people often might think if they were just reading secular news that the only thing that the United Methodist Church is doing is fighting over uh, uh, the the ordination of of LGBT persons and whether or not clergy could perform same-gender marriages. They wouldn't hear about all of the work that we did or we have done relative to helping to attempt to eradicate malaria or addressing hunger worldwide or sending missionaries uh, into four, on four continents or the kinds of work that we do in the state of Indiana, particularly even more recently as we're addressing the opioid crisis uh, through creative ministries in the state. So it's a distraction, uh, but I think that is one of the that's one of my hopes from for for 2019 is that that which has been a distraction now will will give way to some resolution, so that there can be a greater enthusiasm and emphasis on our primary public mission which is to make disciples. And we can only make disciples if we are growing as disciples and loving people uh, as Christ would love them. Yeah. Well, there's some awesome things we do in the church, and God is doing some great things, and yet uh, sometimes we're just so, you know, as you say, distracted and focused on this issue. Mm -hmm. But I think the point you said some younger clergy make is a valid one also, that, you know, if we're going to be influential on particular younger people, uh, this is a factor, you know. How we approach mm-hmm. the matter of human sexuality is a is a is a factor in that. And 
I also think how we make these decisions is is a factor mm -hmm. too. I know. Uh, so I'd just like you to talk about how things may or may not go either at the general conference or in our local churches. As we all local churches mm -hmm. have to deal with this in one form or another. All mm -hmm. clergy have to deal with it. Can you speak to things like Christian conferencing and how we make decisions, mm. how we can interact with one another in civil manners as mm. loving Christian folks, and perhaps, mm -hmm. perhaps Bishop, even be a, uh, a influence on the political conversation that's going on in other things in the world, the business world. Maybe we can be an example to those folks. That, that's my greatest hope. My greatest hope is that we can model something that we haven't seen modeled in recent years uh, in the in the public discourse and conversation in the, in public politics as well, and that is to is to handle our disagreements in a way in which the the love and grace of God is not obscured. Uh, uh, on February the twenty seventh, the day after the special general conference, the New York Times is going to have some reporting from what happened in St. Louis, and I often think about I've raised this question: What do we want that? news uh, yeah. uh, uh, story to say about United Methodists. We cannot uh, legislate our way forward, and, and I may be borrowing from language from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that you cannot legislate love. I think we could practice uh, through our Christian conference guidelines, and even if we just lean bread into our general rules, or, or as Bishop Reuben Job uh, made it user-friendly, the three simple rules, uh, the rules uh, Wesley gave us, and that is to do no harm, yes. to do good, and to stay in love with God. That would be a great witness to the church when they said, wow, those Methodists, United Methodists came together. They didn't intend to do harm. They did no harm. Uh, and then they ended up making a commitment to do as much good as they could mm. and then model for the world what it is to stay in love with God. That way, I believe, uh, we wouldn't, uh, do what my one of my young adult children has said, Dad. I hope that the church doesn't end up on the wrong side of history. Oh my, mm -hmm. that's a profound statement, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yes, yeah, it is. Well, let's talk about that in terms of the practical application for a second. I think what your uh, what your uh, your child mentioned there kind of is applicable to what I want to touch with you about, and that is how we deal with this and the reality of local church settings mm -hmm. and in our local ministries. Mm -hmm. The reality is virtually every local church has LGBTQ folks in it. Among our clergy, we have LGBTQ folks. Mm -hmm. And yet we have to deal with this. What's your, any encouragement or any guidance that you may give to local churches, either pastors or lay folks, perhaps even staff parish committees, about when these issues come up? about the ordination of homosexual persons or if a pastor is asked to do a, a same-sex union. These things do come up. What are kind of encouragement or coaching do you give to local congregations? I think we should uh, approach things uh, with a spirit of grace and mutual respect, uh, not from the standpoint that we feel we have to be forced to do something or accept something that we don't think is right. I've received some powerful letters of people who have explained to me that they've read and searched the scriptures and it seems pretty uh, pretty compelling in terms of God's model for marriage between a man and a woman and, and I don't dispute that at all. But, I, but I, what I do encourage people is to treat everybody with mutual respect and create enough grace 
and space so that we don't have to make people our enemies, uh, even in our local churches. Because most of us as parents, I know as a parent and now a grandparent, we will make room for the people that we love. Yes. We'll make room. And our churches have done that. There have been children uh, uh, who've been confirmed and youth groups and, and gone to college. And, and you, the LGBT community is really a, uh, uh, for the, in the church, and less so now in society, is an oppressed minority. Mm. So most of our churches... Uh, uh, may say, well, this is not a this is not an issue in our community, or this is not an issue in our church. Uh, but that's because uh, uh, people are not open about that. But we always make room, or we should make room, and sometimes we don't make enough room for the people that we say that we love. And uh, I think if we if we approach everybody with mutual respect, because uh, people uh, are quoting, and rightfully so that our book of discipline indicates that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching and that we prohibit our clergy from performing same gender unions or weddings. But that's not the only thing in our book of discipline. It also says that everyone is to be, is, is a person, every child is a child of sacred worth. We all are. And that we are implored or encouraged to be in ministry with all people in the, in our context for ministry. So some people are saying, well, the discipline is telling me to be in ministry with everybody. But then over here, it's telling me not to be in ministry. So that's part of our struggle. And I think in the local church, if we can say if we start with love, love for everybody and mutual respect for everyone, there's no need for us to, to do harm or to make people our enemies, even when we don't agree on what the process should be. Yeah, making that space, having some room. Mm-hmm. And also understanding, you know, this is this issue of human sexuality is not the whole picture of what we're about, is it? Right, absolutely. And, and if we, if we look, even we look at it from the view of a, a sinful activity, as hmm. some may, there's other sinful activities mm-hmm. that are out there as well that we can deal with as absolutely. well. Social justice issues, things, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all kinds of things that we could mm-hmm. be talking about that are just as sinful <laughs> that we could be talking about. Uh, as we kind of wind out here just for a, in a little bit here, just a couple of minutes. I want to look to the future. Let's look to the future. Let's do that. Let's talk about younger clergy, younger lay people, because we've mentioned how we don't have as many of those as we might like, but I know you meet with these folks, and it's a part of the ordination process mm-hmm. and so on, and mm-hmm. i just like your take on what kind of things do you share with younger clergy, both words to maybe inspire or encourage, but also when you have real talk with mm-hmm. them, you know, about the real issues. What well, kind of things I, are you I sharing? Sh- I share some things that actually were shared with me that I, I that I don't think have a limited shelf life. Okay. And one of the things I, I share, it's not an original, it's not an original quote at all, but I remember this when I was beginning the inquiring process and beginning the process of uh, uh, being a candidate for ministry in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church. And my supervisor, supervisor pastor, Reverend Branford, said, Julius, remember to love the people, whatever people you are given to serve with, love those people. And then he also said, take serious the privilege of preaching the gospel. He said, it's something, it's a rare privilege that people get to actually stand before people and preach the gospel. And so he said, if you love the people, and you take care in in how you handle the preaching of the gospel, 
your ministry will go well. The other thing I heard uh, 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 in in recent years, which we we my wife and I both quote a lot, uh, and this is this was from a retired bishop and his spouse, and he said ninety five percent of what happens to you in ministry, Brad, uh, will be good. Five percent will not be good. And in my case, I think of some things that have been really hard and really, really tough. Right. But the wisdom is not to let the 5% overwhelm the 95% and to keep it in perspective. And now in retrospect, when I think back on that, I wish I, it's hard to do that in real time when you're in the, when you're having the 5% of the things that are going sure. bad, it yeah. seems like that's a hundred percent. You still know your focus on that. So that's much. right. Right. So those are the things. And not, what I've heard from young young clergy is that we shouldn't assume that the system that we have is fair and equitable for everyone. And if we at least acknowledge that it isn't, that's 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 better than just pretending that, you know, itineracy and all of these things are uh, have no impact upon families. And that's simply not the case. So I I tell tell people if God has called you to ministry you're going to have a bishop that supports you and encourages you, but I'm not, I'm not going to guarantee you you'll be five minutes from a Starbucks. But I <laughs> but I will but I will guarantee you that you'll have some people that you can love yeah. and some people that will love you back in ministry. That's awesome. Having shared that sentiment with these folks, what are you seeing as some? We've touched on this a little bit, but maybe you can go just a little bit further. What are signs of hope? Signs of life in the church moving forward. One of the signs of life is this whole movement of fresh expressions. Mm. Brad, I don't know if you've heard about oh, yeah. fresh expressions. Read the only, book and yeah. so on. And go, so, and so not just in Europe, but uh, it, I know that in the, the Florida conference has embraced it. Uh, and we're starting to embrace it in Indiana. And these are places where ministry can happen, a lot of it being lay-driven, a lot of it being unorthodox. And it's not predicated on starting a new congregation, having 200 in a launch worship and all of these things. But it's finding ways for us to actually be missional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be in a coffee shop. It might be at that Starbucks. Where That's you, right. Yeah. It might be at the Starbucks. Yeah, right. So these are different ways in which ministry. I'm not an expert on it, but I'm I'm getting excited about it because I think it's going to be bubbling up more so in Indiana. Another thing is a way in which we are responding to the opioid crisis. I've had a chance to attend a gathering of what's called Brianna's Hope. Okay. And this is a ministry that's happening in about 30 plus congregations in different places in the state that is really a church uh, uh, hosted uh, ministry uh, of helping persons who have who to overcome addiction uh, and particularly in light of the the opioid crisis and people who have who have uh, uh, been addicted to, to heroin and methamphetamines and uh, uh, prescription drugs and so forth and have found themselves, uh, 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 ostracized from the church and often from their families. Brianna's Hope is now uh, these chapters of Brianna's Brianna's Hope, with with little, not much fanfare, are starting to pop up. Uh, and I'm going to get behind those persons who are doing this ministry and say, here, this is a this is something the church is doing. We're not just fighting over human sexuality. Right. You're very pragmatic and practical, and speaking to a true need mm-hmm. in our in our Absolutely. communities. Absolutely. Well, just one more question, Bishop Trimble. I appreciate your, your time here today. We began our conversation by talking about ways that you are encouraged. We've mm-hmm. touched on that several times, but you have said in your personal mission statement that you are an encourager, 
And I know that's how you uh, address folks often, be encouraged. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, I don't know if you'll have a chance to, to, to address the general conference in a couple of months or not, or be uh, presiding in any way, but if this is your opportunity here, maybe to address the church as a whole, or uh, perhaps even more uh, in a macro way, even a micro way, uh, what would be your encouragement, your words to be encouraged to the church? Just share with us for a minute. We live in a world that is that is desperately hungry. And I think the world is hungry for signs of hope, signs of peace, and signs of, of God's presence uh, that literally changes lives. And we are in a position as a church to actually be that living bread for people who are hungry hungry for the fresh bread of peace, the fresh bread of love, the fresh bread of justice. And I believe that the, this is, uh, this is a, uh, uh, the dawn of a new opportunity, uh, that we're on the threshold of, of, of a, new, a new day in the Methodist church. I would say to the church, let's show people that we are Christians by our love, as the song says. Yes. Show them that we are Christians by our love. And uh, these other matters uh, 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 are, are, are de certainly not nearly as important as addressing this hunger that I believe people have, this desperate hunger for people to be seen, for people to be heard, and for people to be fed. And I don't just mean physical food. I mean the food of relationships. In spite of the fact that we, have, we are more connected than we've ever been connected because of, because of technology, we're also unhappier than we've ever mm, been, yes. and we also are often ice, more isolated than we've ever been. And that's, uh, that's a window, that's an opportunity for the church to say, we can offer true community because we can be in relationship with everybody. And perhaps, just perhaps, just perhaps, if we show we are Christians by our love, maybe that just might lead to the transformation of the world. Of the world. Absolutely. Bishop Julius Trimble of the Indiana area, thank you for being our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast. Some good words from Bishop Julius Trimble and our conversation that for people to know they are Christians by our love. To be astonished with a passion for ministry and to move forward and to be an encourager. Let's uh, talk about a few takeaway points from our conversation with Bishop Trimble here today. I hope you heard about his spiritual disciplines, about his being a covenant community with other folks, and to go through the daily disciplines of the lectionary in the upper room, how he and his wife have their own disciplines about praying in the car before they go somewhere, how prayer and Bible study is so important for him, and how another part of his discipline is to work out four days a week. So it's a mind-body-spirit relationship uh, part of things that are that are there. Love that he uh, shared about some of the music that he likes, the song of Baby Changes Everything, and uh, 
Uh, Mary, did you know here in the Christmas season, as we're talking right now, also the fact that he's a recent grandparent, as I am as well. And I think that spoke to some of the things how a baby does change everything, especially here at Christmas. We talked about the conversations around the church, about the critical conversations he's having in Indiana, and how there is still a lot of teaching, a lot of uh, a lot of interpretation needs to be done about the way forward, and how people in the various groups he's meeting with, district bodies, are civil and respectful, and there's prayer and conversation and communion. But there's still a lot of unfamiliarity with the history of the church about issues of uh, uh, LBGTQ issues and around the ordination of homosexual persons and and uh, same-sex unions and these types of things. And a lot of more interpretation and, and education needs, needs to take place. He unpacked for us the three different plans but he, that are involved in the church, the one church plan and the conference connectional plan and the and the traditional plan. And, but he also said that a, a possibility for our February conference might be a fourth way of no decision whatsoever, and that is uh, uh, they're all, they all, all, all aspects of this have their challenges, and we discussed that as well. The thing I think was most important in our conversation together with Bishop Trimble is how he talked about how this whole debate around human sexuality is, is in many ways a distraction in the, in the church, and to the true mission of the church and to the good things that are happening in the church, like uh, helping to uh, eradicate uh, hunger in the world and to make inroads against malaria and to deal with the opioid, opioid crisis and the churches that are having great worship and great ministries taking place. And, and what we talked about a lot is how we could handle our disagreements in such a way that the love of Jesus is not obscured. And perhaps we can, in our church, can be a model to the world. So that's, I think, what's important parts of our conversation. I hope that you take as a bullet point and a takeaway as well. We talked about how in our local congregations we can treat each other with the spirit of grace and respect and create space to make room for those who we love. And the idea in the church, of course, is we love all people, even if we disagree with them. And to take, he, he talked about how he shares some good words with younger clergy to take serious the privilege to preach the gospel, and some uh, some good advice that he got that ninety five percent of what happens to you in ministry will be good, and five percent of it will be bad, and don't let the five percent overwhelm the ninety five percent. And we go we went on to uh, talk in our conversation with Bishop Trimble about how the world is desperately hungry for signs of hope and for people to be feed them the bread of life, and to share Christian love with them. Loved our conversation with Bishop Trimble. We'll put connections to Bishop Trimble, his writings and his connections, in our show notes here on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, where it is always our mission to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary. You can find out more about us at our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. And you can also check us out at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. It's good to be with you, and we hope that you also leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That helps us a lot. You can also get a downloadable resource at our website that may be helpful to you as well in your teaching and your preaching. We hope you'll join us next time here on the United Methodist People Podcast as we will continue to share the good news about the United Methodist Church to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary. 
And I'll leave you now with the good news and the good word here in this Christmas season from John Wesley, who said these words, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. And always do all the good you can.